0: You gotta handle the rock with flair and rhythm If you wanna be judged on wood grain and concrete courts in New York This ain't no nickel and dime It's dribbling dimes Where scoring never looked this good I guarantee it But was your reputation built from the playground up? Or did you call next and they took that ish? Or cause you weren't as fast as police and ambulance sirens, Or as loud as Mr. Softy ice cream? No, you see, this is New York City hoops in prime time. As beautiful as the skyline, it's dribbling Dime. Yo, what up? This is Manny Digital. Welcome to another episode of Dribbling Dimes. Today, I'm sitting with two gentlemen. I got two for the price of one today. Um, but I'm going to start with the senior because that's kind of where where everything starts from here. So this gentleman, he played at Iona College for four years. He's a Hall of Famer at, Iola, at Iona College. He's responsible for helping the Gales reach the NCAA tournament. Not once, but twice. And actually, I believe that team was the only team in got maybe ever that reached the second round. I'm going to let you answer that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from long Island originally North Babylon high school. He was fortunate enough to coach, uh, New York. I'm gonna call him a legend, even though people have some issues with him sometimes, uh, Joaquin Noah <laughs> and, uh, uh, was teammate with Jeff Rulin, which was standout player played in the NBA, but also, uh, coached for some time at Iona college. Actually, back when I attended Iona for my, my one year, um, <laughs> He got drafted by the Boston Celtics, but surprisingly never played a single game in the pros because of some injuries. So uh, he's also been coaching, uh, coach at NYIT, which uh, his son, Kieran, who joins us today, uh, recently graduated from. He used to be a radio analyst for Iona College as well. And now he's sitting here with you and me, Mr. Kevin
1: Hamilton, senior. What's up? How are you doing? Do man? you
0: go by senior? I mean, you have to because you have a junior.
1: Well, I have a juniors, but Kevin's fine. So it's right. okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you hear that humble melodic voice, right? Like when mm-hmm. I, when we first had our conversation, and I found out that you were an analyst on the radio. Um, first thing I said, man, he's very soft spoken, and you. F- it feels like you're a very even keeled person. I don't deny that you're a passionate human being, but I'm. S- uh, and I never got a chance to hear you on the radio, but your your tone is just one of like almost like when you speak, someone, people should be intently listening, not because they might miss it because of the soft spokenness, but because you, f- it, your tone feels like somebody that analyzes before they speak, versus maybe somebody like myself who speaks and then thinks. Is that is that
1: accurate? Yeah, I think you you read me pretty clearly. Although um, my former players and uh, people I've trained and helped. Through the years, they they've gotten the other side of okay. the coin. So, but absolutely, and, and a lot of that goes into beyond the basketball training as well. My my corporate days mm-hmm. in corporate America, but yeah, you you read me right.
0: All right, good. I'm I'm a bit of a chameleon, so I can play that role too. I can play the <laughs> the, the 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 low key guy in the in the boardroom every now and again. But since I've been doing the, the podcasting for a little over a year now, like I'm. I'm getting more comfortable just being my normal wild self like I am back home. So um so I'm not going to be like you today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I want to know and Kieran Kieran I'm glad that you're here because um it's often interesting to me the dynamic of just in general like basketball players, right? When I have them in the same room, but the dynamic of father and son and you're the youngest of the three boys. Yes, sir. Okay. So even that is even more interesting to me. So I want you to be Sort of a fact checker, even though we don't check facts on this show. But I want you to kinda of hold that accountable a little bit. For sure. And if you want to throw bullshit in there every now and again, it's fine. I got <laughs> you. All right? and Vice versa when we get to you, kid Um so uh, you know, it's you graduated in nineteen eighty from Iona College, right?
1: That's right, that's
0: right. And so that was uh, that's when I was born. I was born in May of nineteen eighty. So mm-hmm. we kinda of crossed paths, sorta. Of. Mm-hmm. Um it's been a while. What would you call that first, you know, foray or experience that drew you to basketball? Obviously, it's going to be before 1980, but mm-hmm. like, you know, almost 40 years ago is a long time. It has to be way before that. Like, what was that moment, if you recall?
1: Well, first, let me start with uh, thanks for having us. It's, it's just great to to be here, and what you do is just fantastic. We appreciate the time. Um, my basketball career started way back when, when I grew up in Harlem. Mm. um 141st street Saint nicholas avenue oh, and you're practically dominican
0: uh, there, you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go there
1: you go and um and you know a large family family of eight brothers and sisters so you know back in those days if you're not in the monkey bars you know playing around chasing people playing tag you're in the park right down in rucker park playing mm-hmm. basketball with, you, with your brothers mm. So that, that's what started me um, way, way back in those days, and then my family moved out to Long Island. Okay. And, you know, it was a very interesting transition, going from the big city, the big buildings, you know, out on the concrete, to being out where, you know, these funny sounds, you hear some, some different animals making noises. Ah, uh, yeah. But Long Island was good for me because it gave me a chance to, to see a whole different side of life. You know, a little less hustle and bustle, yep. but more opportunity to get out in the parks and and, and work on your game. Hmm. I like to credit my, my, my father because moving from the projects in Harlem to a house, um, the first thing he did was put up a basketball court in the backyard. That's dope. And you can imagine with eight brothers and sisters, you know, playing on that dirt in the backyard became very competitive. And uh, How close
0: in age were you guys?
1: So um, my older brother is nine years older than me. Then another brother seven years. Uh, another okay, so sister. relatively
0: close then. If your oldest is nine years ahead, yes, right. Two, three, four years apart probably.
1: Yeah, between, the oldest the one is down. nine years older. Right. But then the other ones are you know nine and less. But, mm. um, Big Bob, my big brother, probably the best athlete I've ever seen. Mm. Um, played football, ran track. Basketball, but he's a big dude. So when we played, he was the Punisher. He was the one that, you know, didn't care. Little brother was out there trying to make a name. He 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 did everything he could.
0: So we have him to blame for your injuries that led you not to actually set foot on on the celtic team. There,
1: some of them. Some We're of have them. We to call about that. No, no, I'm gonna leave him alone. <laughs> he's still big. Yeah. But um, you know, just a quick family thing. You know, my my other brother Steve, you know, ran track. And was an alternate on the 1970 Olympic team. Wow! Um, just fantastic athlete. I uh, Had a sister one year younger than me that was a great basketball player. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I said it at the camp that mm-hmm. I came to when I met you. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to go play two on two in the park. I'd have her, and we played two guys, and it was no problem. Right. So I give my family a lot of credit for um, helping me along the lines in terms of really starting to enjoy the game and understand at an early age how competitive it is. So that's really the beginning, you know, going from the city out to Long Island and, you know, just loving to play basketball.
0: So was your dad into sports? Did he play or did he just figure, you know what, I got to put – I got this house. I got I got my family out of the projects. I, I want them to have something, you know, for them to enjoy themselves. And that's probably one of the easier things that you can do is like, all right, let me get, you know – not, not that it doesn't cost you money. It's expensive no matter what. But, mm-hmm. like, that's, like, an easy thing where you can control the vibe in your backyard or your driveway. Was that kind of his thought process? Or or did he have in mind, like, I want these kids to learn how to play ball because I see something else down the road?
1: Well, I'll tell you, my, my dad, first of all, the move to Long Island, I, I believe, was a, a quality of life thing. Mm. Um, eight kids, you know, keeping track of all of us running around the city crossing the bridge, the Coons Bridge, going over to Yankee Stadium. So I think it was his way of, of trying to keep us together and give us a, another look at, at life from a different lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually was a football player. So, you know, he was very athletic and um, did good things. But I'll tell you what, following eight kids, he, he wasn't able to live his dream. You know, he, he had to. He had to sacrifice. Yeah, he focused and sacrificed and, and did all the things to, to, to help what he felt was, was talented kids, you know, progressing in, in their lives. So mm-hmm. a lot of credit goes to him.
0: You, uh, I, I'm going to assume this only because you come across as somebody very well-versed in a lot of things. How, how significant was education in your household?
1: It was everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can tell you there was no practices, no games, no going out to the park unless you took care of business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the joke in our house is we do we did the same thing with our guys. Um, but education was everything, especially, you know, growing up in the city. You know, my parents wanted more for us, wanted us to, to, to get the opportunity to see more, do more, and it was beyond just, you know, kicking a football or or shooting a basketball. So it was extremely, extremely important. Um, moms was the one who Cracking put all put cracked the whip and you know, dad had to follow suit before he, you know, he, let got, us go he off. got dealt with. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly right. But education was everything.
0: That's dope. And so you you credit your family and and initially your Harlem upbringing Mm -hmm. as kind of the catalyst for you to explore and and get involved in basketball. When, when did you remember taking kind of that leap from like just casually playing, you know, tussling around in the backyard with with your uh, family to like, all right, now this is like a little bit more serious. I'm taking it more serious. I'm practicing more diligently. Do you remember when that, that switch occurred?
1: So um, I, I do, <laughs> and it was, it's kind of a funny story. Um, I went to North Babylon High School out in Long Island. But well before high school, there was a pretty famous park out there, Belmont Lake State Park, where a lot of people used to congregate from all over Long Island to play. And I used to go and watch the older guys play and, and you know want to be on that court. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget... You know, one day I got up the nerves to say, you know what, I got next. And this was with guys... You were just casually
0: watching. I was just watching.
1: That. And, you know, I think I might have been seventh grade or something mm-hmm. like that. I said, I have next. with with grown men and, and, and real good ball players from the island. And nobody would, would pick me. Nobody, you know, wanted to put me down. Mm-hmm. Um, so one day, strange thing happened. They let me get on the court and play. And... I, I actually started playing very well against these grown guys. That first game. Yeah, yeah. And so much so that here's the story part. So it was this one gentleman. I'm not going to mention his name. Um, but he, uh, he was really going after me because I was doing pretty well for a young guy. Mm-hmm. And I started talking some trash, and he was talking trash, and it got heavy. And I, I got him off the court. But... Um, but my first dose of reality came when he got so mad he went to his car and got a gun. No, <laughs> oh,
0: it was a, a, so white men can't jump <laughs> type of <laughs> stuff.
1: <laughs> but it's the truth. And um, I'ma shoot everybody. Yeah, in this yeah, no, he, he, he was looking for me. <laughs> you know, you know, that's that's where I can honestly say the first sense of that competitive spirit kicked into me because I was talking trash with a grown man. Yeah, and he did not like it, but I didn't back down. Now thank Until God. Until the gun came out and then yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. fleed Well, I went home and told Big Bob. <laughs> man, <laughs> and, and that took care of the rest of that. So but uh yeah, that's when I'd say it really kicked in for me when I saw how competitive it was. I saw how how serious people took it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I loved it. So did that
0: do you feel so that it sounds like that ignited kind of a fire. Like that, that comp that competitive nature in you kind of got brought out and you almost like it was it was a hunger that started, right?
1: Let me tell you, I loved it, you know, yeah. short, of scared, short, like yeah. short of being scared scared for a minute, I tell you what, I started to get picked up when I called next, you know, people saw that. okay, young boy can play a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, first it was, okay, we need an extra one, so let's put him down, right. and then eventually it was, you know, I got him, Yeah. so all of that contributes to that hunger, man, and it puts you in a situation where you just want to be out there more and more, mm-hmm. you know? Unfortunately today, I don't see it, but I used to go to the park as early as my, my parents would let me and stay there until it got dark. And those are the days that really contributed to that, that love for the game and for really you know putting myself in a position to want to play.
0: I, I actually, So you bring up a great point that we discuss a lot on the podcast, which is, and I think what you were alluding to was back in the day, and I'd say, I'd argue even... Maybe up until about 20 years ago, you go to any park in the city and around the city, and there was people playing. Packed. So mm-hmm. long as the weather was cooperating, more or less, people were there. Kieran, your generation and younger and younger folks don't seem to appreciate the parks as much as, I would say, previous generations. I don't know in, in your case if that, mm-hmm. that's how you operate also. Um, what do you think that is owed to? Or maybe I'm bugging. Maybe I'm just going to the wrong parks.
2: No, I attribute it to video games. You, you can game. bring that a little closer. There you go. I can attribute it to video games and just having another facet where kids find something enjoyable. But for real ball players, I think the park, the gym, is definitely where they should be. And uh, it's unfortunate that it's died out.
0: But like, so those that actually play
2: today, right? That
0: consider themselves ball players today, whatever level, many of them talk about going to the gym. Or doing one-on-one training, or you know, joining one of many AAU squads, and that's how they get their their hoops in. I'm talking about the real recreational, like, like yeah, video games. Agreed, I think that that has a big part to play in all of this too. But when I was coming up, I had, uh, I think, yeah, you know, whether it was Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Genesis, I had all these early stage, you know, systems. I never sought that out to be, like, my primary means of entertainment, right? And maybe I was in that transitional phase where video games weren't really that hot, and then now it's like, I mean, these things are so lifelike. Right. It's crazy. But I always found an opportunity when my mother would let me out the house, like, yo, let's go hoop. And, you know, fortunate for me, my brother, who's not here today, but he does the podcast with me, mm. we were always fiends. Like, we would just go play. It doesn't matter. We were not the best in our in our neighborhood, but we didn't care. Like Mm -hmm. it was just, let's go, let's go bang, let's go see what we could do and and make it happen. A lot of kids that I, I, you know, just watching, they don't really get it in like that, and and I'm largely perplexed because I know the talent is still here, right? Like you go to, I go, I've been to a few uh, Catholic high school games, Mm -hmm. right? And these kids are phenomenal athletes, so. I want to see that in the park.
2: Mm-hmm. I okay. want to
0: see that down the street. Yeah, you know what I mean, because like, there's nothing like your neighborhood kind of rallying behind you or the buzz in your hood talking, "Yo, yo, you're so homeboy." Yo, who is this kid? And that kind of thing kind of flourished. Like back in the day, you had a lot of these guys that are now, you know, infamous New York players built their reputation that way. Mm-hmm. It's not. Is it not the case anymore? Yeah,
1: it's definitely not the case anymore, and it, it's something that I struggle with. As an older guy that loves the game, you know, uh, Kieran had the opportunity to to play with um, a New York City legend's son in Mm -hmm. high school, Pee Wee Kirkland. Yep. And Pee Wee and I used to talk about it all the time, and and he used to talk to Kieran and and that whole team about the things you can learn in the park, there's... No disrespect to personal trainers or anyone else, but but you don't learn those things in, in one-on-one sessions.
0: That, that's that's literally verbatim. So I had Terrence Rencher here um, last episode, oh, right, yeah. and he literally said the same thing. The mm-hmm. things that you learn beyond just like, you know, what we would call like the basics of basketball, right? How to dribble, how to shoot, how to get a rebound, the intangibles. Like in your case, right? You hooping, you finally got on, you showed out, the guy got pissed off, went to go get a gun. Mm-hmm. There are lessons all throughout that experience that form you into being a much better basketball player, but more importantly, like human being, mm-hmm. because of that, we don't see that no
1: more. Nah, you don't see it anymore, and it's a shame because, like you said, I would say these these young men and young women, by the way, mm-hmm. are so much more talented than than we were. N- none of them could shoot better than me, but, <laughs> but Talk so much. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I got a little, you know. <laughs> a little flashback that's but what you said in the camp by the right. way. He
0: was like, I'll put it on anybody but I right meant now. it
1: I meant it I know. And, uh, <laughs> but you know I, I think it's generational you know it's so many things for these young men to do and young women to do that it, it's just not the priority the way it used mm. to be for most mm. and if you could ever get that back man they, they have no idea the sky's the limit for them yeah
0: and again, like, in, in you know, we talk about it a lot here as well. And I know you're, you're a big advocate of this as well, which is like, you know, and it's so cliche, but like the ball stops bouncing and then what, That's right? Right. That's right? There are so many things that you can just based on relationship alone. You think about um, players, coaches, all these people that you forge relationships with, agents, right? Mm-hmm. And now five, 10 years down the road or five years after you stop playing professionally or whatever, your know, your highest level is, you still got those friends, those acquaintances, assuming that you did right and those, you forged real relationships, you got a legion of people that now are resources for you, for you to likely still be around the game that you love mm-hmm. in different capacities. So people think about the hearing right this second, and in some cases, quit because they see how much work needs to go into it. They don't envision like how amazing life could be if they within the within the confines of the same sport, mm-hmm. if they just keep at it, and you know. Be genuine, good people. Yeah, and it's crazy to me.
1: No, I agree with you. I agree with you. But it's like anything else, and you have to really love what you do mm-hmm. to be willing to sacrifice. You know, I I enjoyed playing on concrete. I, you know, I just enjoyed it. Yeah. I did not mind getting scraped up, having to go home and you know put something on it, but I'd be back out the next day. You know, I think um, it's 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 something that these young ball players don't know about and it's unfortunate they won't get the experience Mm. you know it's too it's easy to run to the to the the training room and get a (laughs) band-aid it's it's not as it's not as easy to let that thing bleed and let your socks get a little red and play through it Mm. because you'll be tougher for it the next day you show up that's it that's how i feel
2: yep can do you agree i agree that's that 80s talk but it's something that was embedded in me and my brothers and we were fortunate to have him around So, yeah, just get back up. Don't worry about it.
0: What is it? Because, I mean, you have somebody who's played at a high level for so long, right, and been around the game in a a bunch of different roles. You being the youngest and then having your brothers ahead of you kind of play professionally and and go through um, the process as well. What's your vantage point? Because I look at somebody like you and I say, it's easy for somebody like you to say, you know what, I'm I'm okay. I don't want to go down that road. Right. Because it might even become because just like there is success, there's also failure. Right. And you could look at you could you can focus on either, mm-hmm. not necessarily take the whole as as your focus. <clears throat> so it's easy for you like to either be like, you know, what, my brothers went down that path. My dad went down that path. I'm good. I want to try something different. I want to be different um, or just as much. I mean, the way you're going, mm. you want to follow that path. Like, yeah. how did you look at it? Growing up, like, did you immediately gravitate toward it or did it take you some time to, like, jump into hoops?
2: I can't remember a time without a basketball in my hand. <laughs> uh, and trying to live up to my brother's accolades, my father's, I took it as a challenge. Mm. It was something that I felt, hey, if they could do this, why can't I? Right. Even though I'm shorter, I have a slim frame, it's something I could do, too. So I took it as a challenge and I accepted it. And it's something that I've had with me to this day. How about you? Did you force feed your kids basketball, Kevin?
1: Never. Um, I will tell you, and that's one thing about having a great partner in a wife. Mm. Um, never force them to play. My oldest son, Kevin, um, being only child at the time when he first was born, and you know he naturally just gravitated and loves basketball. Um, he had to bear the brunt of watching all my old game films first, so <laughs> he just loved it. And when he started to get bigger and and better, and like me, realize, hey, I, I can play this game. Matter of fact, I'm gonna, I'll tell you a story about him. Mm-hmm. When he was um, growing up and before he went to high school, you know, living in Queens, we were trying to find a place for him to go play. You know, he loved it that much. So you know, there was a couple of reputable programs in the city. You know, Riverside Church yeah. and Gauchos and, and others. And we let him go play with some of these other organizations, but he never got off the bench. Mm. You know, Riverside played the guys from Harlem. get it. Right. Gauchos played, you know, the guys from the Bronx and whatever. Got it. Um, He always felt like he was good enough to play. That was one of the reasons I actually started my AAU program. The Jaguars? That's right. The New York City Jaguars was for guys like him Mm. that felt they could play. But I tell you, I only took guys like him into the organization because I knew they were going to overachieve. How do you know that?
0: I mean, your son—I get because you probably—you know—you're going to know him better than anybody. But how do you, you know, pinpoint these other folks that you can observe and see that kind of potential?
1: Well, some of it is is through their experiences. Like I had a young man, Yuka Agbai, mm. You may not know that name. Went to Archbishop Malloy High School. Okay. Um. Six eight was a decent ball player, and he was on Riverside Church. But they didn't take him to France, and they didn't take him to Orlando and Vegas. But he was, you know, the local player. He wanted to go play in these other places. Mm-hmm. He came and played with us, stood out, ended up being the starting center for Boston College and Al Skinner for four years. Wow. Ended up playing professionally for 11 to 13 years. Got a stint with the Indiana Pacers. That's a guy that wouldn't have got that chance, if he didn't find the right organization like the Jaguars that gave him a chance to go overachieve, mm-hmm. and he wanted to prove things. So I could, um, you know, I could almost name every player that played Jaguar basketball because all of them had their own story. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Brian six 6'8 kid from Rockville Center, Long Island, right? Um, wasn't good enough to play with a lot of other programs. So, played with Jaguars. Went and played at Harvard. Okay? Hmm. Did fantastic. Um, Mike Williams, this young man, the 6'6 kid from from Rhode Island that came to play with us. St. Joe's. Uh, Tim Doyle. St. John's. Hmm. I mean, I could go on and on. Not just all top schools like that. Joe Kim Noah. Yeah. I mean, Joe Kim Noah um, played with the, the, the Long Island Panthers. And great organization. Um, but before he became who he was, there were places that, you know, he couldn't go. Mm. Uh, you know, he came and played with us, won MVP in, in the Las Vegas tournament, and uh, scored 48 points when another team didn't want to take him. So those are the That's types the of... That's uh, the Gators game calling? He was only a junior at that time. Wow. But, um, so, I, I enjoyed and loved more having those types of players... Now listen, if a superstar came along and wanted to play, guess what? You're not going to say no as long right. as they had the right attitude. Right. Um, but I love those folks that want to overachieve.
0: That's crazy. I, I I didn't know that. That that was kind of the impetus for for the Jaguars. Um, is the Jaguar? Are the Jaguars still around?
1: No. Once okay. I started coaching in college, you you can't do both.
0: Ah, that's like a law.
1: Yeah. God damn, yeah. NCAA. <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
0: So if we take it back, right? So now you're at North Babylon High School. You get it. You get there. What is that first experience like? Because I'm assuming freshman year, you're going out for the team, or there's some kind of conversation already where there's an opportunity for you to be on that squad. Like, what, what was what was that like?
1: Well, I played Vossi as a ninth grader. That's, that's what I. Figured. So you know that was great. You know, learned a lot because when you. When you th- sometimes think you're, you're better than you are, you got some some guys that can help you, you know, knock you down a little bit to, to, little. to over, have to regroup. Hmm. But North Babylon was great. We, we had really good coaching, great teammates, a lot of great players came out of North Babylon. Um, but what it did for me most because I was one of the better players to come through that organization, the leadership thing started to kick in. I realized that Okay, I I can't do this by myself, mm-hmm. um, and there's other talented players here. So I was able to start to put together a different phase of of life, you know, starting to help other guys, bring other guys along, and we had some some great players come out of uh, North Babylon at that time. As a matter of fact, on my high school team, I want to say probably 11 out of 15 guys were scholarship players. And wow. schools like Notre Dame, like Delaware, like USC, you know. So we put together a bunch of over, underachievers that wanted to overachieve and, and did so very well. So it was kind well. of the
0: same thing you just described earlier. You're saying like a bunch of guys who just have the skill and just want to do more than what people thought they could.
1: Just wanted to play, man, and and be a good teammate. So. Was Long Island that stacked back in that day? So yes, it was. Really? I mean Long Early seventies, right? Yeah, seventies, (coughs) seventies, man, that's a long time ago. But yeah, it it was Long Island. That's when Long Island basketball really, really took off. Mm. Um, You know, a lot of the big schools were showing up. You know, it it wasn't uncommon to see you know Indiana, Notre Dame, you know Syracuse, all these big schools, North Carolina, all these big schools at Long Island basketball games. So it was very, very good, very packed.
0: Wow. So you, so you were. One of you. Well, I'm sure you were the captain at some point of the mm-hmm. squad. Mm-hmm. You said leadership kind of started kicking in. Was that something that you noticed and started to go down the path of yourself, or was that something that was influenced by your coach at the time? It was like, look, Kev, you gotta you gotta start molding these guys and like bringing them into the fold and you know doing the whole thing.
1: So my high school coach, um, gentleman by the name of uh, Mike Cavalieri, um, was was a player's coach from the standpoint of his expectations and your commitment would equal success. Um, So after playing ninth grade, you know, on varsity, he started to talk to me about, okay, so, you know, now you're into your second year and, you know, Here's what else we need you to do. And then so it that, happened
0: pretty early then. Yeah, he gave it really me a trial run freshman year and then he said, "All right, I got to put this guy in position."
1: Yeah, it really did. And and along with that became trust that um you know I was going to do the right thing. Hmm. You know, the, the best leaders are willing to sacrifice to help the team. And when you figure out that sacrifice helps the team, it helps you even more. Mm-hmm.
0: What's good, Hoops Fiend? Hope you're enjoying the episode so far. It's your boy, Manny Digital, with a hot take. Are you a basketball coach? Maybe an aspiring one? If so, then you have to check out this Tri-State Area Coaches Clinic going down Friday, September 20th at Stepanak High School in White Plains. It features head coach Jeff Cable from Pitt, St. John's Mike Anderson, Illini head coach Brad Underwood, and other big-time D1 honchos. They're spending several hours with attendees to share their vast knowledge and expertise in all aspects of the game. For more info and to register, go to nycoachesclinic.net. That's nycoachesclinic.net. Seats are limited, so don't hesitate. Proceeds benefit the St. Ignatius School of the Bronx. Be sure to tell them Dribble and Dime sent ya. Now let's get back into this hoops journey. So what, what things did you have to sacrifice?
1: Um, I was a natural scorer from day one, but I had guys that could score on my team. I mean, I, I could. it's like yesterday. You know, Stan Wilcox went to Notre Dame. Russell Lewis went to Delaware. Ruben Lewis went to USC. Roger Cyrus, I think, went to South Carolina. Mm. So guess what? I had guys that could play. And it wasn't supposed to be or wasn't about just me. And we became so good because we shared the ball and we, you know, let each other, you know, really do what they did best, which is help the team win. So, you know, that's a sacrifice. Another sacrifice is, you know, sometimes when, you know, you're hurt, you got to figure it out. (laughs) You know, I I don't see a lot of it today. And, And, you know, I get it, but I played hurt a lot. And, you know, they played her a lot.
0: Uh, you're not going to say, but I'm going to say, you're saying, uh, well, you're not. I'm saying there's a softer element of basketball these days than there <laughs> used to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it, too. But, you know, there's a there was an article that came out in ESPN, I want to say maybe about a month ago. And they were, I can't remember who wrote it. So apologies. Again, we don't fact check. So I, I could be making this up. <laughs> but um, it it basically mentioned how, especially in today's day, uh, kids are are put into a specific sport very early, and be, all they do is that sport, right? And so what they're doing is basically overworking their body in that particular sport, that leads to the potential a high risk of injury, you know, injury more soon, or you know, a bunch of different complications that limit their ability to go really far, yeah. like back in the day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I look at that and I say, okay. Perhaps right. You, maybe you're overworking the same things too often, and you're not deviating. You know, like for instance, if if you play baseball and you mm-hmm. play basketball, yep. you're working different muscle groups, right? Exactly. So you know, perhaps that is there's something to that. But I, I, but I look at it on the whole, right? Like there, there were players like that throughout history where mm-hmm. all they focused on was basketball, mm-hmm. and in the '80s in particular, you had people getting punched in the face, mm-hmm. you know, getting their ribs cracked. Jordan got his ribs cracked. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like. That's right. All these different things happen, and they they don't even complain a lot of times. Okay. Today, any little thing is like, eh. and then the flop factor is like incredible.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm a big believer that playing more than one sport is good, mm. um, and it, it it just toughens you up in a different way. Yeah, and it forces you to be more physical if you're playing other physical sports. Be faster if you're running track be more focused if you're playing baseball and you got to watch this 90-mile-per-hour pitch coming down the plate. So I think all those things can really contribute to you being a better player. But, man, there's nothing like having that tough heart. There's nothing like, no matter what sports you're playing, you know, be committed to know that you, you can play, you know, with a, a little nick here. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to mention Kieran for a second mm-hmm. as an example. And I, I would think that... Part of it is because, you know, he's come from an athletic family. Um, but going into his senior year at NYIT, uh, seven, eight weeks before the season started, he had rotator cuff surgery. Ooh. And our first game was nine weeks away, was it, Karen? Yeah. Um, doctors are oh, six months, you know, seven months, yeah. eight months. Ask him if he played.
2: Had to. And you were hurting. Couldn't miss it. Yeah, I was hurt.
0: <laughs> I couldn't miss it. What did did you have any idea what the ramifications would be if you I don't know re-injured it or did something to it in that short of time frame?
2: Definitely. And my okay. older brother Kevin was like, "Hey, take the season to redshirt," <laughs> but I, I missed you just the loved that so too much. Yeah, I, I loved it too much, and I wanted to move on to the next phase. So, uh, so
0: you didn't look at it as a damn? I might be risking everything here.
2: I saw more reward. Than being on the court,
0: that's I, you're you're a, a bold dude. <laughs> I don't think I could have done that because mm-hmm. I, I I would. I'm I'm usually a very optimistic person, um, but you got to have a lot of faith in your healing. your regimen must be tight because I'm I'm a lazy bastard. Yeah, like, that's was I, I, tough. I, oh, I, you don't got to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I mean, how'd, you, how'd you
2: do though? I struggled for I I'd say half the season. I wasn't myself. Okay, but um after I got over the hump. It was back, back to, normal.
1: to normal. Yeah, I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, and there are some players out there. Now, rotator cuff, is, that's a tough that's injury. Serious. There are players out there that will play, you know, hurt as long as they can play. If you mm-hmm. can't play, you should not play. But there, there's a lot of injuries that I see now, you know, fingernails and toes. <laughs> and I mean, I had a kid tell me, oh, well, you know, I, I have uh, – you know, my toe or something. I was like, "Really? We'll cut it off. And, and, and let's go." You
0: got nine <laughs> others. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you you get through your high school years, and, and I'm sure. Did you guys do anything like remarkable for the school as far as like accolades go, championships or anything like that? Yeah, this on? is
1: this is before state championships and okay. all these other championships that they have. Um, I think I lost. And from sophomore to senior year, maybe three games. Wow. Um, we were the second best team in all of New York, as far as I know. Mm. We there's one team we couldn't beat. Um, who Babylon High School? Oh, okay, and, and damn, that's like your arch nemesis, right? Yeah, and two of those guys became my college teammates. So, oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> yeah, but um.
0: Wait, your yeah. backcourt mate at Iona? Yeah, that's right, Glenn Vickers. Get out of here. Yeah. That's funny.
1: That's right. Yeah, great player. Great player. Hey, you guys are a problem. Yeah, we, we, we <laughs> were good. We were good. So, um, you know, and then we just, just, you know, kept it moving after that. You know, the recruiting process became a big part of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, as I, I think I mentioned this to you or maybe talked about it, you know, I, I was recruited by some big schools, You know, the Syracuse of the world, North Carolina, USC. Mm -hmm. I had no intention to go to a small school like Iona until my senior year. I hurt myself and I missed quite a bit of uh, my senior year. Uh, I made it back in time enough for the playoffs and and did extremely well. But during that process, when you get hurt to the point where you can't play, your recruiting becomes, you know, jeopardized.
0: That's right. Unless you commit.
1: That's right. That's right. So um and this was your senior year. Senior when these year in high school. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So a gentleman by the name of Jim Valvano came calling. Yeah. Hardly and, known uh, in
0: basketball circles. Yeah. Rest in peace.
1: Yeah. Rest in peace. Great, great guy, and you know, came on a home visit. Wow. And uh, I'm. He was
0: he was kind of a big deal still. I mean, I know his legacy is largely more tied to NC State, but he was still a big time coach in at Iona, no?
1: Well, he, Notoriety yes. Notoriety wise. Yes. I mean, he, he was, he was, he was known as, as a, a program builder. Right. You know, we built Iona back to glory days, and, and he was a big reason for it, obviously. Mm. But, um, when he recruited me, he came to my home and I was in a cast, a full length cast. Mm. And, uh, my father said to him, well, he, he's in a cast, you know, <laughs> why? you why are you recruiting this guy
0: your father basically kicked him out before he even sat down uh-huh.
1: but but his answer was was right on time he said listen this guy in the cast is better than the guys we have right now Ooh. so
0: that's it you gotta say no more yeah, coach
1: <laughs> say no more and and on to iona and and uh fantastic fantastic gears at iona you know yeah, you got
0: you got once you got there, you guys got off and running very quickly. Maybe your freshman year was, like, the maybe the worst of the of the four? 17 and 10. It's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad
1: at all. <laughs> 17 and 10, beat St. John's that year. Wow. So, it was, we were off and running. Yeah. We were missing some pieces, played great competition. We played Kentucky that year. They won a national championship. But we were off and running, and, um... Most of the players from our team, as a matter of fact, more than 90% were from Long Island. That's funny. So that answers your question.
0: That's hilarious. Yeah, you guys stacked.
1: Yeah, but Coach Ravano was a great coach for us and um, character. You know, it was like playing for your brother, Mm -hmm. your older brother. And he um, was not credited as, as being as good of a coach as he was. He allowed us to play. He put together the right team for the right chemistry and you know the miracle out of miracles was him you know being able to recruit Jeff Rulin. mhm we helped right. <laughs> so i mean the long island connection yeah, is undeniable <laughs> yeah but but when when we secured jeff from from indiana north carolina and kentucky going to a little school like iona that that was big news for us
0: that's crazy and so I, actually i want to take a quick step back so recruiting stage Say, before your injury, mm-hmm. senior year, you had all these offers. What prompted you not to take any of them at the moment? Like, why? Why was early commitment just not a thing back then? Or did you say, you know what, I'm holding out for something else?
1: My varsity coach told me to wait. You know, I, I wanted to go to Syracuse. Yeah. Who doesn't want to go to Syracuse? Yeah. And then, you know, I know some players that were going to go there. And I said, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm not fully in the picture. Then had a great visit to North Carolina. You know who would not want to go to North Carolina? But then Dean Smith told me, "Well, you're going to sit until you're a junior because we have a guy by the name of Phil Ford." And I said, "Well, <laughs> you know, I don't want to go there." Right. And then I visited USC, and uh, it was a great, just a great, great visit. Um, until my father called me and said, "Hey, you know, how, how's the trip going? How's the school?" And uh, and I honestly didn't get to see the school. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were like, LA is great.
1: <laughs> well, I loved it, man. I told him I'm coming here. He said, No, nah, man, bring you know, come home. Yeah. So, um wow. what made me want to go to Iona is, is um being injured and not knowing exactly what your career was gonna look like when you're injured, you know, I had to think about some other things. Mm-hmm. And Coach Valvano promised me he said, Listen, all these schools that you know are recruiting you that you're good enough to go play at, we'll play them if you come here. Ah, and and he did. We played every single one of the schools that recruited us, and um, we ended up doing very well against a lot of them.
0: So you you guys went to the tournament twice while right. you were there, right? right. And I, I, I want to say it was your senior year that you guys actually made it to the second round. Yes, I think it was Georgetown that bumped you guys. Beat us by saying.
1: one, man. Damn,
0: it was that close. Yeah. Wow. Jeff Rulin wasn't playing that season. Yes, he did. Did he? Yes, he did. Which was the season? He was suspended a season, wasn't he? No then what the hell did I read?
1: Yeah, that's it's, long story it's short. bullshit. Okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, he there played, you go. He you fact check
0: me. All right, yeah, I'll that's take you. Right, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I heard something. Tell me, maybe I'm off base, but I heard he got an agent before he was supposed to that broke some NCAA
1: rule. So what I would say is this. Back in those days is really when college basketball the effervescence of, of recruiting and mm-hmm. scouting and pro potential. I mean, thank God there weren't cell phones back in uh, those days. Okay, gotcha. So let's just leave it at that. Gotcha. Okay. But Jeff played all the entire time. Okay. Um, okay, The year before, when we lost to University of Pennsylvania by, I think, two points, Wow. they ended up going to the Final Four, losing to um, Michigan State.
0: How do you feel? Because you see that all the time, right? Like, I, you know, I talk to a lot of guys that played uh, – uh, for UMass, I have talked to Dana Dingle and Charlton mm-hmm. Clark, and they were at the at the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, when you're that close to potentially, you know, assuming that, let's say you, Iona at the time beats U Penn, mm-hmm. right, and then you beat everybody U Penn beat to get to the Final Four,
1: right?
0: It's not. It could be considered like it, uh, an easy substitution, right? You could say, "Damn, if we would have just beat them, we would have gotten all the way there."
1: Yeah, it's a fine line.
0: It's because you mm-hmm. you can't really predict it, but that's what you feel because you're like, we we knew we were better than them. We should have beat them, and if they got it all the way over there, knowing that we could beat them, we mm-hmm. should get over there, right?
1: Well, it's a fine line. Right. As a matter of fact, we lost to U Penn because our top forward at the time got hurt in the first minute of the game. <sighs> His name is Dave Brown and and if we had Dave from Newark, New Jersey, yeah. tough big brother that could play, um, we we beat them no question. But hey, kudos to them. You got to go yeah. with what you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, same thing with Georgetown. They were our nemesis my senior year. They beat us twice. Um, you know, but you know, that's that's the way it goes, but I'll Damn, I'll, I'll give you an example. Point. I'll give you an example of how the, this is such a fine line. That year, the winner of the NCAA tournament was Louisville. Mm-hmm. So we beat them my senior year in Madison Square Garden by seventeen points. Yeah, that's how fine of a line it is.
0: That's so. How is it you being a highly touted, lauded player, right, making it to the big dance two two years in a row? Like, what what's that like? Because that that is, I often say on this show the championship to me is when you are able to be good enough to get an offer and accept it mm-hmm. to go to school. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's division one or two, it doesn't matter to mm-hmm. me. if you get money to go and potentially graduate for free mm-hmm. and play ball like that to me is like, you know, the Holy grail, if yeah. you will, you went above and beyond on multiple levels, right? Not forget about the draft. Mm-hmm. You guys had a big dance
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and you guys, you know, you got to the second round. Like that's not, it's mm-hmm. not easy. Were you on, like, a cloud, you know, from one year to the next? Like, what was Kevin Hamilton's mindset after you got there the first time and then accomplished it the second year?
1: So, you know, um, it's such a, a great feeling. And even back, I think back to those days now, uh, how many teams make the tournament nowadays? 64. 64. Maybe more. I how about, think it's a couple yeah, more, yeah, too. Yeah, maybe more. The extra ones. How about there were only 48 back when I played? All right. So you, you are... You really are the best of the best at that point. Now, there's some teams that don't make it for you know whatever the reasons are, but less teams, less players make it. So it's really an opportunity to 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 stand out. But from a, from a, a feeling perspective, man, if you don't win, it's so disappointing. Yeah, and of um, you know, for me, the way we lost, losing close games in those tournaments, you know, not having a full team was you know, it, it hurt, hmm. but for for those of us that were able to go on and play beyond that, at some level, it, it just made you hungrier. Hmm. So um, that's the way I look at it. Now I don't know nowadays. You know, you have players that are, you know, happy, you know, with uh, maybe just making it, but right. those that are that are serious and have potential to go beyond where they currently are are the ones that you can tell. You know. It really bothers. Well, well, it bothers them. It definitely bothers. Him. Does it bother you still? What? <laughs> Man, let me tell you.
0: How How are you? Do you? I'm assuming you still watch Iona games. Like like last I year do. when they hit the the tournament. I do. How How like involved are you emotionally?
1: Oh, big time. Mm. First of all, you know Tim Clus is a friend. I used to broadcast. He's doing a hell of a job by oh, the way. He's incredible. I, I mean, he doesn't get enough credit. No. Um, and. The school was good to me. Um, Still is good to me. You know, they do alumni things. You know, that is so special. But, yeah, I'm emotionally involved. You know, I I was rooting hard for them to upset North Carolina. Um, I I root for them every year because they they make the tournament, you know, most of the time they play. But, yes, I'm emotionally connected and want to see those guys do well. And I I also – Try to work with Tim and his staff to help guys who aren't going to be the ones to go on and play basketball. Mm. You know, job placement and do some things along those lines.
0: You do that today. Yeah, yeah. Just on the on like in the background, like yeah. not not like an established entity. W- yeah, in, no, as just a you know,
1: like if there's a business major out there, you know. Put them in touch with some, with the right people, you know, get them some interviews, you know, that let's kind not, of stuff. Let's not
0: talk too much about that because then you're going to get flooded with, uh, with requests later. <laughs> yeah. We don't, yeah. don't want to bombard your inbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that's really cool. Um, just, you know, I, I often wonder why schools don't do a better job. I, this is my assumption. They could be doing an amazing job, but I don't see it. I feel like there could be a closer relationship between alumni, and let's just call it basketball alumni for now, mm-hmm. and these universities, because just on the strength of like, you know, in your case, right, you have a, an amazing story to share with up and coming ball players that go through Iona, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your experiences, your mistakes, how you you know handle them. Your success in the corporate world—all these things are are beneficial for them to hear and and lean on you. It sounds like you're open enough for for them to be like, "Hey, if I got a few minutes, can can I have, get a few minutes with you, uh, Kevin, to mm-hmm. talk about X, Y, and Z?" Mm-hmm. That needs to be more prevalent, I think, because these kids—and I have my issues with the NCAA and a lot of mm-hmm. things—but like, you know, yeah. there, there's a sense of exploitation to a degree, um, and I feel like they have to know not very few of you are going to have an opportunity to go pro
1: That's right.
0: to the league, international, whatever you want to call pro, right? You got to be able to use this opportunity beyond what you see right in front of you. Cause you know, and I hate to keep going back to this, but like the ball stops balancing. Then what, Yeah, like, no question. what are you going to do? Cause a lot of times they don't take school seriously enough to generate, you know, a, a degree from it. So like, Yo, the other thing you can rest on is your your connections. Like be a stand up person mm-hmm. and go go figure it out. Yep. And it's really difficult. It so, really
1: is. And and that's why I have so much respect for guys like John Thompson Sr. Yes. Uh, or June the second. I'm not oh, sure which one he is, them. but yeah, yeah. but um, you know, the the flat basketball on his desk where oh, players players, players he recruits, he used to bring them in and they do the whole recruiting thing. You yeah. want you want good basketball players. Well, he used to sit them down with a flat basketball on his desk and, and ask them. Now talk to me about what you do after the ball stops bouncing, um, and and he meant it because if you look at his graduation rate, yep. you look at his placement rate, you know um, it's it's just really really important. I know Tim does that at Iona, also. You know, really focuses with these guys on what happens after this. You know, what happens after you know the lights go out. Yeah. So and that's where. You know, I would implore these young guys to, that's where you really got to pick the right school to. That's You know, if you, if you think about, I hope I'm not talking too much, but if you, you think yeah, this, about. This is all
0: about you. <laughs> I'm just I'm just in the room with the mic on.
1: <laughs> no, I appreciate you. <laughs> you know, the transfer list. If you look at high school, JUCO, and then when they get to college, the transfers list for college at all divisions, all level, are almost 2,000 kids. Wow. It's it's insane. Annually. That means there's two thousand kids going someplace that, for whatever the reason, they're not happy. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't happen.
0: Damn, you're right. I, I, I think it's back to what you said. Like the what is the goal? Like what is your ultimate vision and what you're trying to accomplish and mm-hmm. align that accordingly. Because in your case, you had all these amazing offers. Not that Iona wasn't, but you had these programs that had more notoriety. Mm-hmm. And for one reason or another, Iona ended up being it. And, I mean, Iona's a great, great school. It is. I was actually surprised. When, so I went to Iona for my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that they were a Division One's program. Mm-hmm. Because it's such a small school, I right. just didn't assume that. Right. And then when I'm on campus and I see everything rocking, I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, yeah. I, I, could, I could rock this Iona t-shirt and be <laughs> right. extra proud, you <laughs> that's know? That's right, that's right. So it's crazy to me. But, Kieran... Um, after hearing your father say that, right, and, and we talked a little bit about this before we cut the mics on, you you have in your mind a plan for what you want to do after that ball is flat, right? May not me, you know measure out to be that, but you at least have a target that you're aiming at. How far in advance of you getting serious and you know on your way to to going professionally now did you have that in mind? And we could talk about what it is because I didn't even. Say what it was.
2: Yeah, so uh, I'd like to be an agent after the ball stops bouncing. But uh, it didn't really come to mind until I got my shoulder injured ah. and torn. And I'm like, wow, this, is this it? Yeah. Some of those thoughts come to mind when you get a significant injury like I did. So that's when I started to think about what's next. What <laughs> what will interest me after basketball? And I always I always wanted to be somewhat involved mm-hmm. in the sport I love so much, so... That's when that came.
0: Did that change any of your curriculum, like courses you were taking? Did you pivot in any way that that way?
2: Not necessarily. Okay. It didn't. Right. But uh yeah.
0: But that's your that's your target. It is. I mean, for, not that anybody wants to be injured, but it's good that you got injured then because you got that reality check Definitely. ahead of, you know, God forbid that happens. You know, ten years from now, when you're on the last legs of your career, that could be tough. For sure. Um, what have you? Actually, this is a question for both of you, but I'm gonna start with you, Karen. You have two older brothers, both play professionally. So I know Kevin and the middle brother's name is Keith.
1: Keith. 3, is your is
0: your wife's name also with a K? No. <laughs> Damn, cause that'd be killer. <laughs> um, so Keith and and Kevin Jr. You see them going off and doing their thing. What's the one thing that has been consistent as far as, you know, tutelage or things that they've tried to teach you in pursuing a professional basketball career?
2: Just staying in the gym, getting those reps up and uh, being more competitive than the next guy.
0: How do you lock in to be that?
2: It's it's, it's something that's instilled. I can't really say it's something you can preach to someone. It's something you either have it or you don't. And I'm fortunate because I was in the backyard of my brothers. They, they pushed me to my limit, and it stuck with me, fortunately. So
0: uh, would you consider yourself an assassin on the court?
2: I would. Yeah? To a fault. Ah, to a fault. damn, that's,
0: that's real humbling. <laughs> that's good to know. I can't admit that about myself just yet. <laughs> um, and what would you say, so that's a, a fault of yours, right? Um, what would you say is your biggest strength on the basketball court? I think I know what you're gonna say, but I'm gonna let you.
2: My strength, uh, I say my speed. Damn. Okay. I'm, I'm able to use that to my advantage. Being a small guy, I can shoot the ball pretty well. And you just, better.
0: I'm a. You got a long range assassin yeah, over here. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I have to in my house, and uh, just having a high IQ, trying to be an extension of the coach. I was fortunate to be coached by my father, and a bunch of other good coaches along my career, and uh, just trying to be an extension of them, trying to think. Hey, where's my coach thinking right now? How can I help the guy next to me?
0: Hmm. Even even when the opportunities present themselves where you could really be showboating and and going you know ape shit out there, you still go back to that and you're like, all right, let me let me focus on what the game plan is. Yeah, that's good. It's hard. I I always have this like people, it's easy to judge, right? A basketball player because the assumption is. Oh, he's a jock or she's a jock. They get all these things. You know, they're big headed because they're praised by their surrounding friends, whatever it is. Right. Um, I look at it the other way. I'm like, it's got to I can't fault you or anybody that came up playing basketball at a high level for feeling like they're the man or the woman. Right. Because that's what everybody's propelled you to be. So and you're young, usually when that's happening. So for you to sit for me as a grown man now to fault a younger guy or gal for feeling that way and acting that way mm-hmm. is unfair. It, surprising would be somebody like, and I mentioned this before, like a Zion Williamson mm-hmm. that seems to be very humble, mild mannered with the amount of success and, and perception that he has. Mm-hmm. I'm almost like pissed off that he's not cocky as hell. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause he he's exhibited the talent he seems to be a hard worker he's he's a killer so like i always look at that and i'm like you know i'm like damn i would love for everybody to be humble and you know holier than thou but that's not the reality yeah so how do you you know being i'm assuming a floor general Uh right how do you get everybody's egos in check when you're on the basketball court
2: it was tough in college being the coach's son it's especially, yeah, yeah especially. It, it took yeah. some getting used to because in high school it's a little easier, but in college, he's recruiting guys, they're coming in, and he's like, oh, your son's here.
0: Yeah, that kind of leaves some guys bad taste probably. Yeah, like, oh, I'm not so going to get a look.
2: On the court, I had to prove, hey, I'm better than this guy. I work harder than this guy. It had to enhance my, my level of play. And uh, I just tried to bring the guys along. Say, mm-hmm. hey, I'm working hard. I know, hey, he may be in your ear, but keep at it. Yeah.
0: How about how about you Kevin? So you 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 end up, you know, you you have a, a tremendous college career. Uh hall of fame like I mentioned. And, and I want to say you're on the you're on the top 5 list in scoring if I'm not mistaken. And, and I finished
1: on in the top 5, finished? Now I'm like 9 maybe right. something like that right, yeah, right, right okay.
0: at the time. Okay. Um what's the process so the season's over, senior season's over. At what point in and around that were you targeting the NBA or like when did it become a reality that there was an opportunity to go there?
1: Well, yeah, it became a reality um, probably my junior year in college. Mm. They start to come around. You start to get the letters. You know, I show my 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 guys. You know, a lot of the old stuff. Um, coaches start to talk to you a little bit about it. Um, you get invited to you know some some special things over the summer. Like I got invited to Pan American. Tryouts and all this other stuff. So you begin to know by those indicators, but you really begin to know when, w- with your play. You know, when you start outplaying guys that, you know, they're really high on the list, whatever the reason is. Maybe it's the school they go to or, you know, where they came out of high school, whatever. You, you, you know, mm. you can, you know. I like So put, that, like
0: night in and night out, let's say, I don't know. You show out against one of the top 10 guys, nationally ranked guys after that game, after you proven that, wow, I did, I did great. You kind of self check yourself. And you're like, that's a, that's a check in the box that, that bodes well for me for the next level. Yeah.
1: I'll give you an example. So, Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to
0: hear this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this rap versus so, about this guy. I want to hear this.
1: Yeah. We, uh, we played Kentucky in the, uh, great Alaskan shootout finals. And, uh, uh, Jeff Ruland destroyed Sam Bowie. Yeah. You know, that's when he was, you know, considered yeah, was, like, to be the, the savior. Player, right? Yeah, yeah, right. all that stuff. And when I destroyed his teammate Kyle Macy, hmm. who played many years for the Phoenix Suns. Um, Kyle was good, though. He, he was tough. Yeah. But, you know, take a team like Georgetown— I averaged over thirty something points a game against Georgetown. Wow. And that's without a three point line. Wow. right. So <laughs> right. we had a nationally televised game um against Georgetown and Eric Sleepy Floyd. A lot of young guys may not know these yeah. guys, but these are great ball players. John Duran, you know, everybody but Patrick Ewing was right. on that team. And um nationally televised, Marv Albert, all this other stuff. And uh, and I had thirty eight. And the next nearest guy had seventeen, so you could imagine the next day the, the calls and the letters and you know does he do this consistently and all that kind of stuff, and then it didn't hurt. A couple weeks after that, we played Louisville at the Garden, eighteen thousand people.
0: Oh, that was that game.
1: Yeah, uh, and you know they were number one in the country, and we beat them easy. And I had a great, I had a really good game. How many and, points you scored that game? Uh, I want to say. Twenty. I don't believe
0: you for a second that you don't remember that.
1: Twenty yeah. six probably twenty six.
0: Twenty six point seven five six. Yeah. I was off. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bad game. <laughs> Nine but you yeah, but you're playing
1: against great players and um you know it, it, it begins to really unfold that you can play. And you know at that point you know yourself and everybody else who, who really follows the game knows. So so
0: do would you say let's go back to Georgetown as an example. I'm sure you had many other, you know, large scoring games, yeah. but when you highlight those two, does your confidence at the time elevate substantially? So like you you get through Georgetown, you perform amazing. You said the next game was Louisville at the Garden.
1: Well, not that next game oh, There's some games down the road. Our next it. game after that game was Wichita State, okay. another good team. Yep. So
0: so do, does your confidence just Sky not skyrocket but go up a notch after that Georgetown game that season, or was it relatively the same throughout?
1: So it's the same. So you I already, mean, like,
0: I'm a killer, I yeah, know this,
1: yeah. I knew what my role was, what my job was, and I knew that if I played to my ability, was anybody that could stop me from doing what I do best. Um, and that's just my approach. And you know, I knew what was expected of me, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I, I didn't want to parade after that. I, first of all, we lost, which, okay, right? <laughs> which which hurt, right? But secondly, you know, you you know what what's expected and, and what you're able to do. So, it was it was on to the next. That's the way I looked at it.
0: So people are talking. They, your name is coming up and a bunch of things. You're getting invited to these these you know Pan American Games mm-hmm. and all these things. When does it come time for you to, like, have to pick an agent and Hmm. and get into, like, that whole process that is the the draft?
1: So things are different now, nowadays. But back in those days, we didn't think about that until the season was over. Okay. Um, You know, a lot of people made attempts and would speak to coach and send letters and that whole thing. But I didn't think about it until after the season was officially over. Um, And then I interviewed um, three – three people that i i felt were 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 cool Mm -hmm. um one guy his name was um john branca and if you google him he was uh michael jackson's attorney
0: whoa (laughs) okay
1: i known, maybe (laughs) but um but i ended up uh, having walt frazier and his company be my my agents you mentioned that and uh walt frazier enterprises and um
0: until you said it, I had no idea. I, I've only known him as a player for the Knicks yeah. and the broadcaster. I had yeah. no idea about this life.
1: Yeah, Clyde was, you know, back in those days, he, him and a pretty well-known guy by the name of Erwin Weiner, hmm. who was his, uh, his attorney. Um, they were good. I mean, they were, they were they were supportive. They did everything they could. Um, they didn't know who I was going to get drafted by. I was shocked when I got drafted by the Celtics. Why? Um, you know, I actually asked Red Auerbach on that question. Um, I was shocked because, you know, spoke to the Nets, spoke to Houston, um, the Knicks a little bit, a bunch of, you know, teams. Never spoke to Boston. Oh. And then draft day, when I got drafted, you know, you shake the hand and you go in the back and you get on the phone with the team. I asked uh, Red Auerbach, um that moment, I mean, after
0: you got drafted and you got on the phone?
1: Yeah, I was, Oh, I said, I'm thrilled, you right. know. I'm just curious, you know, we never spoke. Well, you know, what, what made you draft me? Um, He said, son, don't you know, if anybody knew I was even interested in you, they would have took you before us. Uh, That's why they won 13 championships, because, uh, they, you know, he, he, he was just brilliant. Sauce. Yeah. He was brilliant. And later I found out, you know, after watching... Some of our games that, like the Louisville game in the garden, he was there, he was at Georgetown, so he was at a bunch of our games. And um, I was so focused, I didn't really even notice. But um, after the fact, that's probably the reason why.
0: So, you, you told the story. So, by the way, um, we met at the We Will Through Sports uh camp that mm-hmm. my daughter happened to be playing at. So shout out um coach Henry and coach Joe yes. uh, for that amazing event. Um when you spoke to the campers, you uh, I was like a little kid. I was like <laughs> um you had you had mentioned the kind of the qual not qualification but how you ended up on the on the roster basically mm-hmm, for the mm-hmm, Celtics. Mm-hmm. Can you walk us through that whole process like the camp and like the whole cutting process and all that?
1: So so there's a bunch of um steps back in the day that they used to take. First was, um you know, rookie camp, and after I signed my contract, you know, I came to rookie camp, and 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 you you, you go into the gym, and here it is, you're, you're drafted. Yes. So you think, you know, you're the man. You're an NBA player. Yeah, you know, you, right. you're all that. And I, I go into the gym, and I see hundreds of guys that I played against mm-hmm. that I know some can really, really play, and you're saying to yourself, wow, you know, I, I thought— I, Thought I was a man. What's this guy doing here?
0: You know, it's funny when you say that. Like, I think you know how you see, um, like, on TV now. You see the players in the locker room, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's got their like their cubby, mm-hmm. and you know it's finite. There's only whatever fifteen or so cubbies. That's what I envisioned right after the draft. Just mm-hmm. like, all right, that's where they put you. You mm-hmm. have your your name, your plaque on a cubby. Mm-hmm. But then when you show, when you told mm-hmm. me that mm-hmm. back in the day, like mm-hmm. yo, you got hundreds of cats. Yeah. Still basically competing for a spot, right?
1: Yeah. And like I said at camp, there were guys there that honestly they could do some things better than me. No question. Yep. You know, I, I could name him. Michael Bennett from BC. I mean, he's a tough kid. He could, he could play, could handle. Probably got to handle me the whole thing. You know, Bill Hanslick, the six six guard from Notre Dame. You know, really tough player. Um, but then you fall back on what you did or what you do well. And I knew none of them could shoot the ball Better than me, was tougher than me when it came to defense. So I, I felt pretty good about that. But there's a whole process. You know, rookie camp, it shocked me when Larry Bird showed up to rookie camp. And I said to myself, wow, you know, first you, you get over like this is Larry Bird. And then you say, this dude's diving on cement in, in a workout. So what do so I he have was to do?
0: participating. Oh, with yeah, you he guys. played.
1: He came and played. Him, ML Carr. Um, Cedric Maxwell, a bunch of guys, you know, showed up, and they're diving on cement for a loose ball. And it's, you say to yourself, "Wow, if they're doing that, what do I have wow, to do?" You
0: gotta go bite the the rim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: And then you know, you know, I played for a legendary NBA coach, Bill Fitch. Mm-hmm. That many people may not know his name, but if you go look at it, he's one of the winningest coaches in the NBA history and his expectations were you played the way i want you to play and you know we play in scrimmages and we play in in open media stuff the green and white game and i i talked about i hit the winning shot in one of the games in in a workout and uh he cursed me out from one end of the floor to the <laughs> other end and i i said what's what yeah what did i do wrong he said you didn't pass larry bird the ball uh uh-huh. So it, it puts a whole different perspective on things. Um, I saw guys get cut for not running a three-minute drill fast enough. I mean, it, it's just a totally different level. I have no idea what it's like today. Right. Um, I can tell you it wasn't as glamorous. You know, you look at – you have the, the combines now. You have, you know, all this stuff. You have preseason games that, you know – Preseason games back when I played was like Regular season it wasn't a big deal. Oh. It was like you take a bus to Bangor, Maine, you play the Nets and you get back on the bus. <laughs> it's not it wasn't anything crazy as today televised and Yeah, there's a lot of fair it's just so but but hey, that's the evolution of basketball. But overall I would say that the that you you really had to earn it. To, to be amongst the, the guys remaining.
0: So, so you mentioned there was hundreds of guys. Mm-hmm. How do you go... And how many slots were there that you guys were vying for? 11. 11. So, oh, okay. So you ended up as one of those 11, but but so, that process was extensive. Like, how, tell, yeah. Take me through because there was... How many cuts were there?
1: So what happens is, you know, through, through the preseason, there are cuts... Pretty much every day, okay. whenever, and when you get down to I'd say like the final 14 players, you know you have a roster chance, mm. and that's that's a good thing because if you have a roster chance, there's a chance that either you'll make the roster, um, you'll get traded, or they'll put you on a reserve list that if you know you you still can practice with the team. And if somebody gets hurt, they'll, they'll add you. Activate you. Um, so when I got injured, you know, that was the end of that. Wait, and
0: you, you skipped. How did you get injured?
1: So uh, playing in a preseason game oh. and um, going up against um, a guy by the name of Bob Lanier. And he was uh, 6'11, 320 yeah, pounds. And he had he, the throw back then? No, he didn't have no, the right. no not that I remember <laughs> okay he, I was looking up at him <laughs> he was a tall, tree. but he was a big dude, and um it, I tell you what man, just basketball in general um so much so more so much f- more physical um and vicious and just you know the rules were you could just play right, so being a little guy, I'm a little guy at six three and uh you just play. If you get knocked to the ground, like we talked about, you get up and you, you try to go play. If not, you you know, you, you, that's it. But go I home. injured my elbow, and I had to have reconstructive surgery. I showed the kids my, my yep, scar. Yep. I still have some wires and pins in there. But you know what I would tell any young player out there listening to this? So I didn't become an NBA All-Star. I didn't, you know, have a long career of any sense. But I, I wouldn't trade this for anything, and you can't take it away from me. Yep. You can't take away any of the accolades that you, I worked so hard to get. Just being drafted, just being yeah, interested huge. interested in from a guy like Walt Frazier to manage you. You know, Kieran, you came to me to the garden. We saw Clyde, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, those things mean so much. That when your playing days are over, it's the memories that matter. If I could sell for a price all the memories that I have, I'd, I'd be a very wealthy guy. So I don't think you'd sell them. No, no. I don't think
0: there's a price for that. No, <laughs>
1: it's those memories are just mean a lot.
0: So, so what's happened be beyond the game for you? So after, did you play professionally overseas or anything like that?
1: You know, what's interesting? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, I told you a story uh, off the record that um, my father tried to get me to go work out with the Knicks um, a year and a half after my injury. And after I got cut again by the Celtics, you know, they officially cut you. Um, But I didn't do it. I went and and got a a great job with a great company, IBM. Started a really good business career. Um, Was successful there. Moved over to another great company, Xerox Corporation, and actually retired from Xerox, so you know, 18 years with Xerox, um, 11 years with IBM, it was just great for me.
0: Here's a, here's a here's a question: Did you get a pension?
1: Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I got yeah. a
0: 401k, baby. You got a yeah. pension. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And
1: back in fact, in those days, as long as you were with a company for five yeah, or more vest, years, right? yeah, you vest up. No, right?
0: but you like super fully vested.
1: But I tell I tell uh young ball players, I made more money working in corporate America than I would have made playing basketball. Not nowadays. No, nowadays back you then, know, right, back, right. back then, you know, the the superstars didn't make tons of money. That's right. So but, it was, but you could still
0: argue it was more for the love even back, I mean, you live comfortably, let's not get it twisted. But compared to I mean the scales are completely different now, comparatively speaking.
1: God bless them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I
1: mean, the money is insane, but you know, it's it's like uh, an entertainer, if you are worth it, you should get it. Absolutely. 100%. So, Karen, you chasing those big papers?
2: <clears throat> those ah, those big bags? It's more for the the experience. I don't buy it for a second. I not promise. not
0: that, not saying that you look like the type that's like out for the money per se, but uh-huh. we obviously we all need it. Um you're 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 looking to go professional, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, play professionally. When you say the experience, do you mean the fact that you get to travel to different places or just playing with people that you're not accustomed to playing with?
2: So my first stint was in uh, Puerto Rico. I yep. got drafted. And uh, when I got to Puerto Rico, Arecibo is the town I was in. Yep. It was like I was a freshman in high school again. <laughs> a lot of these guys, <laughs> I'm watching these guys. Some play top league in Israel, mm. have great careers in Puerto Rico and... I get a chance to learn something again. It's like, hey, I can actually learn something from this guy. And, again, I'm competing from the bottom. I'm not at the top. I'm not yep. the best player on the team. and something to prove. So, like the challenge I spoke of earlier, I felt I found it was another challenge.
0: So, you embrace these opportunities because it could very easily go the other way. You're like, damn, I got to start again. And you almost feel entitled, right? Because if, yeah. if you've been able to climb a ladder over here, you feel like that should carry over, Definitely. and and for any so like I talked to several Dominican basketball players, and I know it's very similar in Puerto Rico. These are grown ass men mm-hmm. beating your ass. Mm-hmm. Like I this just, is uh, not this is not some soft ass you know game. Mm-hmm. So for and and there I know that there are ways for young cats, you know, high school age to be able to play pro in in, in the Caribbean for a lot of teams. So you're getting that practice early, like taking your lumps. So to speak, well, literally, yeah, right. So like. It's interesting that you accept that and then you look at it as an opportunity to better yourself. How how has
2: that gone for you? It's gone well. First practice, I got bumped. <laughs> Usually it's a whistle, but I, Kept going. I had to keep going. And the coaches didn't say anything. They wanted to see how tough I was. And uh, I think they'll tell you I got through it. But um, it's all about the experience. I'll tell you what I told my agent a few days ago. I just want to go play. I love the game. It doesn't matter where I go. I just love to play the game, and I'll continue to do so.
0: That's dope. I'm not. I'm not going to pry too much because I don't want to jinx anything. <laughs> nor do I want you to divulge anything you don't need to right now. <laughs> um, Kevin, what are you basketball wise? What is to, what does today look like? What are you involved in? How are you still affiliated with the game?
1: So um, I, I just recently stopped coaching in college. Mm-hmm. Um, really good experience. I can honestly say, you know, I wish I would have done, did better. You know, a lot of things go into that, but at the end of the day, I'm still competitive when it comes to that. I wish we would have won some championships. Um, but, you know, I can look back and and figure out, you know, how I can get better. Uh, I've been asked to, to go broadcast again, do some things along those lines, I was talking to two NBA teams um, about scouting um, for them <clears throat> if I want to stay involved with with basketball uh, you know I did that a long time ago I enjoy it and with technology now you can you can do it much easier than back in the days with with a typewriter type typing <laughs> a report <laughs> right um, it's a
0: lot nicer to have to carry a cell phone versus <laughs> a big ass typewriter
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right um, listen i I think. For me, I'm on the other side of the mountain. If I can help someone in, who loves the game and is doing respectful things in the game, that, that's what it's all about for me. I think, you know, I love to go speak at camp. You know, I'll go talk to to kids and try to give them some motivation, let them know, look, you know, if I can do it, you you certainly can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things are, are enjoyment. Um I don't play like I used to, so the individual instruction is definitely out.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, mentally, you can still teach kids a lot. You don't have to go run shoot. through it. I
1: can still shoot, but after you can get
0: Kieran. Whenever he comes by, he's just, hey, Kieran, run these drills right quick. Two on and two.
1: Him. Listen, two and two. <laughs> I'm just gonna let him handle the ball. I'll stand in Stay one in spot. The perimeter. <laughs> if he gives it to me, well, I'll make it. <laughs> but um, so I, I just want to help you know players, real players, in any way I can. Um. I think also I'm going to help uh, with uh, a process of helping kids understand how to get recruited. Um, uh. Henry and I are actually talking about this. Okay. Um, look forward to doing some things where coaches, players, and parents can come listen to me talk for a little bit, but ask me a lot of questions about, okay, so I'm a ninth grader. I think my kid can be a good player. What, what should we be doing? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm a junior. How do I get on that list? Right. Okay, I'm a senior that have not been recruited too well. Why not? And, you know, what else should we be doing? So I want to do something along those lines. Um, and then, you know, lastly, like I do with all my other kids, I want to go watch this guy play, um, enjoy him, and um, and some of my other kids that, that I have out there. Not my grand- personal kids. my granddaughter also, right? Oh, my granddaughter. Yeah. Let me tell you, we're ready to write in... Articles on her. so I, I read one. I read yeah. One. That's how
0: I got to know her a little bit on, online.
1: Yeah. And, and she loves it.
0: Shout out to the Ballers Journal, by the way. That was part of my research. They did a oh. piece on Kevin, Ke- your son, Kevin, and, and yeah. Sophia.
1: Yeah. That yeah. was very nice. Yeah, that, that was, was dope. Uh, yeah. That was dope. So I, I want to just do that until, you know, I can't do it anymore. And um, just really try to enjoy. And, and again, I want to thank you because this has been so rewarding to... You know, have somebody interested in what, what I've done, what my kids are doing and it's very this, nice of you to do this, this is what
0: I live for. So I appreciate it. This is these conversations are gold to me. Like I try to do a good job so people can actually be entertained when they hear this, but this is really all selfish. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I'm learning so much.
1: <laughs> no, nah, you do a great job, man. Thank you. you do. Thank you.
0: Well guys, it, it was a pleasure. Um thank you for, for trekking it out over here. Karen, this is not over. You <laughs> and I are probably gonna have our own one on one sounds good maybe, maybe even next summer I want to see what, what transpires over the next 12 months and, and we'll see what happens definitely I appreciate I'm, it I'm holding you to it I got video and audio <laughs> I you in. please do
2: <laughs>
0: alright and Kevin this isn't our last either we're gonna have more conversation for
1: sure definitely definitely and thank you thank you guys
0: thank you for listening to this episode of Dribbling Dimes if you like what you heard please leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to us now Check us out on social media as well. We're live on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On all platforms, you can find us at